morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, September 29th, we're studying Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 to 34. In today's text, the Lord teaches his people how they can respond to his merciful promises by their vows and their voluntary offerings to support his sanctuary. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Ned Murby. Pastor Murby serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Pastor Murby, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be with you. So, Pastor Murby, as we get started today with the last chapter of Leviticus, chapter 27, what should we know about the book and the context? What are we going to encounter here in this chapter? Well, the, the book of Leviticus establishes for Israel how she is able to approach the holy God who has redeemed her from slavery, established her as his people, um, and through the, the, the ritual at the temple, through the divine service that he institutes, you know, gives, gives the forgiveness of sins, um, cleanses from all impurity. And, and it's in living in that holiness that the Israelites respond in faith. And, and that's really what we, the conclusion of the book is um, God's instructions for, for what that response can look like. Um, these are not commands, but it's God's descriptions of the voluntary things that people can do um, towards him and the temple as they live as his holy people. So, you know, and this maybe is a bit surprising. We talked a little bit about yesterday in chapter 26. You have a, a climax of sorts as the Lord talks to his people about what he, the way that he's going to deal with them in the promised land, the blessings, the the punishments that are threatened. And, and yet here we have one more chapter. It seems like maybe what's this doing here? Any, any thoughts on how Leviticus 27 serves as a follow-up to what we've read previously and how it helps to, to conclude the book? Well, it, it presupposes, I think, a faithful response of God's people. Um, God has just said, you know, there's, there's blessings for keeping um, his word and, and holding to his commandments, and there's punishment when his people turn away from his word, um, turn away from the good things that that he has in store for them. And, and rather than just leave it as, well, on a note of law, of, of do good and be blessed or do um, wrong and, and be punished, it invites a faithful reception of God's word by by opening the door for God's people to respond to his love and mercy um, in, in how they use his blessings toward 
um, worship and taking care of the sanctuary um, and, and such things as that. So I, I think it's, it's God's way of, of saying, here's what a, an appropriate response to all that I have done for you looks yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. It does. It, it does then lead the book to end on a more, uh, perhaps, positive note than it, it would have otherwise, as as seeing a, the potential for a positive response from Israel rather than all disobedient. And we do know that, despite the the way that Israel's history does often go in terms of disobedience, there are moments when they are faithful, and so it, it does envision a positive response, a faithful response to God's mercies, and and from a very practical standpoint as well. You think about how central the tabernacle and the temple have been throughout the book of Leviticus as the location for the sacrifices that will be offered, then just the very practical nature of supporting that place where God promises to dwell in these physical ways, uh, Leviticus 27 also serves as a fitting conclusion in that regard as well. So with, with those thoughts in mind, then let's turn to the text. Again, this is Leviticus chapter 27 that we are reading this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from 5 years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. If the person is from a month old up to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male five shekels of silver and for a female, the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good for bad, or bad for good. And if he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. 
But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee. And the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the priest shall return to him from whom it was bought. Excuse me, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate. Whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted, who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind, shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. That is our text for today. That's Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 to 34. So, Pastor Murphy, again, with this chapter in mind, there's a lot of details here, some of which are maybe a little less familiar, but just give us the big picture. What's what's being described here in Leviticus chapter 27? And then we'll take a look at more details. Well, you know, the words that Moses that Moses are supposed to that Moses is supposed to speak to the children of Israel begin with if. You know, if anyone makes a special vow to the Lord. These are not the required offerings that are to be brought, th these are ways for people to express their gratitude to the Lord, um, to, I, I hate to say bargain with the Lord, but, you know, to, to make a vow, Lord, you know, if you see my family safely through this time, then, you know, we're, we're going to make this special contribution. Um, Obviously, that shouldn't be seen as, you know, purchasing, um, you know, a miracle from God or something. But um, God does allow his people to to come to him and to participate in, in this generosity that he has, that he has showered upon them and use these gifts that he has given to them to his glory, um, to his honor. And there's there's freedom in all of that it's not just a legal requirement you must do this you must honor god in this way there are certainly things that god does command like that but there, there's just this wide sort of opportunity for the people to devote themselves um their family their animals their land their homes to the the good of the lord's house 
and by extension, the worship that takes place there. And, and so really then for, for the good of the community and, and the entire world, really, as the, the temple is the place where God has, well, the tabernacle and later the temple is the place where God dwells so that his holiness might come to the earth, not in wrath and judgment, but in a way that makes us participators in it. In a, in a good and blessed way. So this is, this is just wonderful opportunity um, for people to take part in, in that worship and in that generosity of God and share his blessings as, as he has given to them generously. Yeah, maybe, maybe a way of thinking about the vow, not so much a, a bargain with God or, or if you give me this, then I'll give you that, but more of the, the thought of, of promising something uh, in anticipation of the Lord's gifts, yeah. rather than, you know, you have to do something for me, so I do. It's, it's rather, no, I know you are faithful, Lord, and so I'm, I'm giving you this, promising this in anticipation of the way I know you're going to be faithful to your promises. Yeah, that's an excellent way of saying it. Yeah, okay, so this, again, is all voluntary uh, ways to support the work of the sanctuary through which the Lord has promised to work in anticipation of the Lord's gifts. And that, that voluntary nature is an important thing, especially as we think about the way that this is going to apply to us as Christians toward the end of our conversation. And just thinking about how it fits into Leviticus, there have been some offerings that are required. Some sacrifices are required in certain circumstances for say unintentional sins, thinking back to the first couple chapters, but there are also voluntary offerings described there before too, some of the peace offerings that were described. So this is gonna fit in that voluntary category of offerings, uh, often in the case of, of money, as we're going to see. And so the, the term, uh, there's a lot of valuation that happens in, in some yes. of these things. So the, the, first, the first scenario that's described is the valuation for various peoples and, and vowing, I guess, for yourself, some sort of service, some sort of money based on who you are. And there's various valuations that are given in these first couple of verses. What's, what's going on in this section? Take us into some of those details. Yes, yeah, so you know, a, a person would be able to, to val, you know, dedicate maybe a period of time of, of, um, of their life um, or you know, even a, a, a family member that they had uh, authority over. So the, the ultimate example of this that we have in Scripture is, is when Hannah dedicates Samuel to the yeah. Lord, and, and his life then is devoted to the Lord's service at the temple or at the tabernacle and God calls him to be a pro a prophet and I mean he's sent all over the place as as, as the Lord's representative um, and, and his life is dedicated to the Lord in a in a more you know specific and directed way than than the people of Israel in in general and the we see differing amounts for for different people and it's it's um you know it's sex and age um males tend to be or are, are valued higher than than females and then there's kind of a a bit of a bell curve around age if if you're in if you're 20 to 60 um if you're in kind of the the prime of your life as far as ability to work and, and and get things done when you have your maximum um economic potential your valuation is higher if if a young child 
is is dedicated to the Lord, then it's it's a very low amount because that person is going to require a lot of input yet, um, a lot of investment into their life before they come to the point where where they are um, economically productive. And then if you're over 60, it comes back down because it's expected that you don't have that many years left. Um, and you're not, you know, somebody who's 60 typically is not going to be as productive you know, especially in manual labor as somebody who's 20 or 30 or 40. Um, so the, you know, it, it's one's ability to um, be productive economically is, is what sets the value on, on the individual. And, and so we should be clear, this is not a valuation of the worth of a person, of an individual in God's sight. Um, you know, th then we have to look at the, the sacrifices of atonement. You know, ultimately, we have to look to Christ himself, who offers his own life in the place of, of each and all of us. Um, but as somebody vowing, you know, their life to the Lord in response to his generosity and all that he has done, his blessings, it's put in terms of, you know, how productive can you be? Um, and so, you know, God through Moses, yes, values men higher than women in that regard. Um, they're going to be the ones out working fields, building buildings. Um, and you yeah, know. no, it's, it's not, you're right. It's not a valuation of the individual that somehow that men have higher inherent worth that is more than women. That's not at all what's being said. But rather, it is it is a matter of of the economic output, and we've we've seen really this standard set in the book of Leviticus elsewhere, especially surrounding the year of jubilee and the year of you know Sabbath rest. That when, say, for example, a, a person needed to quote sell his field because he was poor, he really wasn't selling the field per se. He was selling the crops that the field could produce and really leasing the land because the land belonged to the Lord. Similarly, if a man you know, couldn't pay and maybe he didn't have that land to sell or that had already been sold, he could essentially hire out his work. But you were not being bought as a slave. Rather, it was you were being paid for your work. Yeah. And it's a similar principle in mind here when it comes to the valuation of that's given. It's, it's not about the inherent worth of, of men versus women or young versus old, but it's rather amount of how much work can you do or are you expected to do? And, and I think it's clear, I mean, if, if God were expecting the Israelites to sell themselves, I mean, completely into slavery, you know, me and all of my offspring now belong to you and they're your property— you know, women would be more valuable than men because they can bear children and you'd have all of those um, children would be your property too. But this is not, um, th this first portion on the valuation of persons is not about property. Um, it, it's about dedicating one's, um, one's life, one's work to, to the Lord. Yeah, well, and even the, the note that's there at the end of that section in verse 8 about someone who's too poor to pay the valuation that you know, he or she would fall into based on, on age and sex, 
the, the priest is to put a value there, one that he can afford so that he can participate and still you know, be involved in the support of the sanctuary, even though he doesn't have the same material wealth. Certainly. Um, yeah, and that, you know, one's, one's age and, and ability and all, and all of that is going to take uh, on a, be taken into account there. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you have somebody who's lame or blind, they'll probably be valued lower, but they'll, they will have a valuation that offer that allows them to participate in this free will dedication towards the Lord in his house. Yeah. Yeah. And I, just to, to, to come back to the point that you started with, because the, the thought that crossed my mind too, is Hannah and Samuel in first Samuel. So basically what's, what's going on here is with, with the case of Samuel, he actually, as a, as an individual stays there at the tabernacle, grows up and ends up in service in the tabernacle. But a vow like this could be made to the effect by anyone to the effect then that you wouldn't stay there at the tabernacle, but rather you would give a certain amount of money to the tabernacle to support its work. And that's kind of the, the same idea that that's the, the picture, right? Yes. So it's, it's a, a, a dedication of myself. The whole, the whole reason why you have the valuation is because you're, you're able to and expected, I think, to redeem yourself out of physically going to the temple and living there and serving God. But, but that's what Samuel is, um, is not spared in that way. He, right. he is dedicated to the Lord, and, and Hannah does not um, redeem him out of it, but she continues to support him. You know, she brings him a change of clothing each year when she comes to the temple, um, and, and she wants him you know, fully dedicated to the Lord um, in the actual labor that he does from childhood you know, on up. Yeah, yeah, maybe, and this is this is maybe a little, it's it's perhaps a bit crass of an example, but it's not all that different than say like some places have fundraisers where like you you can get a restaurant to sponsor a fundraiser and they give a certain portion or maybe all of their proceeds from one night to that organization that they're they're sponsoring. It's, again, that's it's maybe I I don't intend to be too crass, but it's something similar to those. that. Well, and I don't even just mean it in terms of churches, but but just with with any that it's that kind of idea where I'm saying a certain amount of my labor and the profits from it is going to support the work of of the sanctuary. Certainly, or or you could look at it when a youth group, you know, has a bunch of young, strong yeah. teenagers who say, you know, you, you can assign us whatever chores you want to do. You, you know, go. rake leaves, cut your grass. Um, you know, you you make a contribution to the to the youth group so they can go to higher things or something like that that's right yeah that's right so that's the kind of again just to, to put some flesh and blood on what is being talked about here with this valuation of persons that's yeah. the, the kind of thing that's in mind here all right so and we'll come back to more of some of those contemporary applications as, as we continue uh, through the whole chapter now then in verse 9 after the the various valuations that are given to different workers uh, the the vow turns to the matter of animals. Uh, what's what's going on with the matter of animals that might be vowed to the Lord there, beginning in verse nine? Okay, um, so again, one might might say, you know, if if the Lord gets us through this drought, I'm I'm gonna take you know a 
a steer or a heifer or a, a lamb or whatever, and and this is going to be my my gift to to God. And again, it's not a I'm I'm going to choose a, a ritual sacrifice to offer to God to get Him to make it rain, but um, trusting that the Lord will provide rain. And and then when the rain comes, my animals can be supported by the land again. But at that point, when everything's good, I'm still going to take this animal and and offer it to the Lord. And um, a, a, an animal that is offered in that way, is vowed in that way, um, is not to be subs- substituted for another animal. Um, and and you know, verse ten uses the the language of exchange or substitution. Um, exchange is probably means you can't say, well, I, I, I vowed a bull, but I'm going to offer a ram instead. Um, and substitution would be, well, I, I vowed a bull, but I'm going to offer this one instead of that one. Um, whether it's a inferior, you know, switch or a superior switch, um, God says, no, if you, if you make an exchange like that, then both of them are holy. Both of them are, um, become dedicated to the Lord. Um, Right. So that, and then similarly with the the matter of the unclean animal, say like a donkey, something like that, that you wouldn't use for the sacrifices, but you were going to dedicate that to the service of the Lord. That with the, there's the matter of if you want to redeem it. So you say, yeah, I want to keep my vow, but I, I don't want to give the animal. I'd rather give money. Then you actually add a fifth to the valuation in that case. Yes. And, and I think that, um, it, it's not meant as, you know, any sort of, punishment but it it keeps people from gaming the system you know right. a, an extra fifth is if you can afford the animal you can afford 20 percent above the animal you know most most likely um but it keeps people from saying well i'm going to offer this well now i'm going to redeem well i'm not going to redeem it this year and you know the same thing a, a little bit later with the tithes the tithe belong to the lord you know the the Tenth of whatever the land produces is is to be um, given to the Lord. If somebody wants to redeem that and not bring it to the temple, they can. They just send, any, you know, whatever the value of of that produce would be. You add a fifth to it. You know, so you're talking about sending twelve percent of your income instead of ten percent. You know, not yeah. anything crazy. And you you send the gift in the form of currency instead of in the form of of, of the produce. So you, you can't just say, well, you know, it it's valued at a hundred shekels, but I bet I can sell it to this neighbor neighbor over here and get 105 shekels. Well, if you've made that exchange, you're you're sending extra money. So um, it's it's roughly equivalent, but it, it comes out in the favor of of God's house. Well, um, and I think, yeah, and I think it, it does two things. It, one, it keeps it voluntary so that you don't, you know, it's not something you're forced to to do like, okay, I, I actually need my house now that the, the period of the vow is over. And I, so I, or, well, we'll talk about houses in a second, but I need the donkey now that the period of the vow is over. So it keeps it voluntary in that sense. You, you're not forced to give the donkey. It is a voluntary offering so that you can use the, the money, but then it also keeps it honest. It prevents you from, as you said, just doing it to turn a profit and rather keeps the focus on the Lord and the reason that you've given the gift in the first place. So let's let's pick up more of that when it comes to the matter of houses and more offerings, more on the other side of the break. 
You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Ned Murphy this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, September 29th. We're studying Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 to 34 with Pastor Ned Murby. He serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. Pastor Murby, prior to the break, we were talking especially about the gifts of animals that might be vowed to the Lord and the way that the Lord keeps the system both, uh, the way I put it at least, is both, both voluntary but also honest. You don't, you, get to, you don't get to profit from this. It's all for the Lord. Uh, the next thing that's that's mentioned after the animals is the matter of dedicating your house or also perhaps part of your land to the Lord. So talk about these and, and feel free to, to add any comments to, to where we left off before the break. Okay, well, I think there's a, there's a lot of like overlap and parallel between the different kinds of, of vow offerings. So um, moving on to to the house again, this is a free will, voluntary thing. Somebody says, I, I, I dedicate my, my house to the Lord. Um, the priest comes and, and sets a valuation for it. You know, um, it, and, and it's not like people didn't have the opportunity just to, to make a monetary donation at the temple or at the tabernacle. Um, but if, if they want to say, like, the, God has given me this house and, and, I, I want to, in a sense, give it back to him. The the priest would say, "Look, this is how much this house is worth." Um, and I maybe you can um, fill me in here on maybe you have a, a a brilliant insight. I don't quite know how the house would be used um, as it is vowed to the Lord, but when the time comes, he could. I mean, it could be redeemed. Um, if the donor says so, in some way, the house is actually given to the Lord. If that's we're going to let the Levites live there, or maybe somebody, you know, later on um, when the synagogue becomes popular, maybe somebody says, "Okay, I'm going to move out of my house and let it be, you know, turned into a place where, you know, Jerusalem's a hundred miles away or more. This is where people can gather and, and hear God's word, and rather than just me live there, it's it's going to be dedicated to the Lord. But if you then say, you know, I I want to live in my house again. You you buy it back. The priest sets this is the price, what we think it's, you know what what it's determined to be worth, and you pay not just the valuation, but again it's the the extra fifth. Um, 
So it's it's been vowed to the Lord. Um, I think you can look at it as you you let the Lord turn a little bit of a profit on, you know, we 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 build equity um, in in the homes that that we purchase. At least we we try to. Um, and it, if if it's been given to God, but then we buy it back, um, we would add a twenty percent to it as a way to let the work of the Lord continue to um, to take place among his people. Um, the house is kind of a, a all or nothing thing as it's presented here, you know, not just, well, we're, we're, we're going to give God one room. Um, but when it comes to the land, whatever has been given to an individual, you know, the all of the promised land is is divided by lots among the 12 tribes of Israel and divided there, um, you know, from the tribes to, to the various families. And the Lord had commanded that the land stay in the family, you know, forever. And if it was sold and it was part of that jubilee year, jubilee year you had mentioned. And and so if you, if you want to dedicate to the Lord a portion of your inheritance, your land, you would say, okay, these... 50 acres I'm, I'm dedicating to the Lord and the, again the it, it would be valued it would be valued based off of um, well in proportion to its seed um, which is probably how much seed it took to plant in that area maybe how much seed was, was gotten in harvest but it, it it's I think it's probably however much a homer of barley, however much land a homer of barley could sow, yeah. then that would be 50 shekels if you're starting this at the beginning of one of those 50-year jubilee periods. Right. And then for, for each year as you get closer to the next jubilee, you would take one shekel off of the price. So if the jubilee is only two years away, you know, you would just be vowing two shekels instead yeah. of the, the full 50. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, just to, to go to a couple of things you, you brought up with the, the matter of the houses, I think the the things that you, you were speculating on, that's exactly where I would think too, that a house, if it were going to be retained for use by the sanctuary, would go to house Levites, potentially priests, depending on where the house was located. I mean, you can think of, and this isn't necessarily a vow, but the way that uh, the the widow at Nain or maybe Zarephath, Zarephath yes. welcomes Elijah into her house. I mean those those kinds of and there's a a, a similar situation where Elisha is welcomed into to people's houses. Those kinds of things would would be the use for the houses uh, when when the house itself was was retained. The other thing that, that you mentioned, where it comes to the matter of this this twenty percent that goes to the Lord when when you redeem the property. At the same time that the Lord keeps his own people honest, he also keeps the priests honest as well when it comes to this year of Jubilee, where there, there's most of the time, there's there's maybe one exception, but most of the time when that year of Jubilee rolls around, those fields go back to the owner just like they're supposed to, so that the, the priesthood doesn't become rich off the people either. You, you keep both parties honest. Yes. And, and we see... I mean, that's in, in contrast to what right. happens in Egypt with Joseph. Right. I mean, Joseph makes the Pharaoh a very wealthy man because people sell themselves essentially into slavery in order to get food during those seven lean years. And there it's only the priests who have their own 
allotment of food that are able to stay out of that kind of, of poverty and, and servitude. Um, and, and God, you know, God's intention is for his people to live, you know, not necessarily with, with complete equality, everybody having the same amount, but, but everybody participating in the richness of the land and in the abundance that God provides there. Um, and, and you're right, he doesn't want one class taking, you know, complete control and, and, and running people out. And that gets condemned by the prophets um, when, it, when it does happen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, th you can think of the example of Eli and his sons who, who or well, the sons of Eli more than Eli, the sons of Eli who are, who are misusing the sacrificial system for their own benefit. The Lord does not intend that at all. As you, I think the way you said it, the Lord wants all of his people to participate in the richness of his land. And as he lays out this system for the voluntary offerings, he, he sets that in place, both for the people and the priests and the sanctuary who's going to be supported by these voluntary offerings. So again, as you said, a lot of the, the same principles run through the gift of an animal, the gift of house, the gift of, of land. Uh, what about though, as the Lord continues, he, he, mean, he mentioned specifically, say, firstborn animals, and, and you're not going to dedicate those. What's going on with the firstborn animals in their mention here? Well, you can't dedicate a firstborn area, a, a firstborn animal to the Lord because the Lord has already claimed them at the time of the Exodus. Um, after the death of the firstborn of all of those households that were not covered by the blood of the, the sacrificial Passover lamb, um, after their death, God says, okay, all of you, first, all the firstborn in Israel belong to me. That means the firstborn of flocks and herds and of, of people. Now, people, the sons born to Israel, the, the firstborn, were to be redeemed um, by a lamb. Um, or if they were, were poor, um, then... We have the two turtle doves. We have that with, with Christ. Right. Um, you know, he fulfills that law um, at his own presentation in the temple. Um, unclean animals, donkeys, which wouldn't be sacrificed, um, would be redeemed, I, um, I believe, yes. also by a lamb. But, but the lambs, you, you know, they these things were already holy and dedicated to the Lord by the Lord's command, so it's not optional. All of the other offspring of of your herds and your flocks if you you know it, it, you could freely offer an animal to the lord um and if if you know and then so that's why an unclean animal could be bought back um not the firstborn but um well okay so the the, the unclean animal could be bought back at the valuation with the fifth added to it. Um, if it's not bought back, then it's sold at the valuation and that that money would go to, to the Lord. So you can, you, the animal that is dedicated to God belongs to God. If you want it back, then you, you add the extra to it. Um, now, what about in verse 28, the matter of devoted things, no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord uh, that cannot. What, what's going on with the devoted things that, that are even says devoted to destruction would be put to death? What's what's happening there in verses twenty eight and twenty nine? Um, so there were certain things that 
um, that God just commands be devoted to him, which is a way of saying be destroyed for his, for his sake, for the sake of his honor and glory. So we see this um, certain, certain cities or parts of certain cities when the Israelites conquer the land of Canaan are to be devoted to the Lord. That is completely destroyed. So in Jericho, the first city, the first fruits of, of the land of Canaan to fall to the Israelites at the hand of the Lord is to be entirely destroyed except for um, Rahab and her family because they feared the Lord, hid the spies, um, and so, so they were spared. But nothing else was to be spared. And, of course, Achan gets in trouble because he takes some of the spoils of war there and he hides them in his tent. And then God doesn't give his people victory at Ai until... Um, the sin of Achan is uncovered and, and dealt with. But even after that, there are cities where God commands that, that certain portions, um, often, often it's all the men, sometimes um, it, it's all of the city because of the wickedness, but these things were to be completely destroyed. Saul gets into trouble with this because God gives the Israelites victory, but... Samuel, who, who's running late to the to the battle, comes up and he had, he's like, Saul, why do I hear all this bleeding of sheep? God said everything must be destroyed. You know, it's devoted to him, devoted to destruction. And, and Saul is saying, well, you know, the, the people wanted to offer sacrifices. And so we were saving these to offer sacrifices. But that's not how, I mean, I, I think it's questionable whether Saul is being completely honest there. Um, even if he is being completely honest, it's he was taking liberties with God's instructions that that he really shouldn't have been been taking. God wanted these things just wiped out as the the, the battle. Um, and so these things that God has said they, they must not be permitted to remain. You can't say, well, okay, I'm going to give the temple an offering to allow that to remain. Usually, you know those those things that were to be destroyed were the things that had great potential for leading the people of God astray. Um, a city that was devoted to false worship, um, false gods, and, and was leading the people of Israel away from God. You know, that was the kind of town that God would say, said, you know, just you need to wipe it out. Jericho, the, the first city of Canaan that God overthrows for the people of Israel. It's like it, this. This has to be a complete destruction. There, we're not merging with these people. We're replacing them. God had already told Abraham, "I'm going to drive these people out because of their wickedness." But their wickedness hasn't gotten that bad yet. So you and your family are going to have to wait until their wickedness gets so bad that I justly punish them. By their complete destruction um and and there is no redeeming people man has no authority to redeem people from that that condemnation of god that something needs to be destroyed right right now i do think that the, the first part verse verse 28 where it just talks about the devoted thing that's not devoted to destruction there is a there is an opportunity for the israelite to devote himself or to devote 
say the the field or something in a way that is irredeemable. You know, you can't get it back. So that there is there is maybe a distinction there between the the situation you're primarily talking about and also then the the matter of I, I'm going to devote this in such a way that I'm not able to to redeem it. There's that's not an option for me anymore in this case. Just again is another way of voluntary. This is a voluntary matter of of giving to the Lord. Now you you mentioned as well that the tithes which are described in, in detail there. And again, a lot of the same details, the same principles lie behind all of it. So with that thought in mind, we've got about 10 minutes here on the morning. And I, I'm curious on, on some of the, the ways that this chapter then connects to Christ, the way that he fulfills it, as, as well as some of the ways we think about our Christian giving and the way that we voluntarily give to support the work of the church still. So let's, let's talk first about the fulfillment in Christ. Uh, where do we see Christ as a fulfillment of this, of this chapter? Well, we, we see Christ as one who perfectly and wholly, voluntarily dedicates his life to God and the, the glory of God and, and the work of God. Um, you know, his, his flesh is the new temple, the new dwelling place of God on earth. And so everything he says and does is directed towards that, that same idea of God's holiness coming to his holy people in a way that they can be made participators of it and, and rather than destroyed by it. That's exactly what the incarnation is. Um, and Christ fully gives himself, um, even to the point of dying on the cross, giving his life in, in place for us, in place of us. Um, which I, I can't help but think... Um, that, that it, it almost seems like a throwaway comment comment in kind of the middle of the chapter when when God says that if if one animal is substituted for another they both become holy and and we see that in in Christ's life then right he he is the substitute he takes our place um, and it's that substitutionary atonement where he takes our place and bears the wrath of God for our sin that we become holy as he is holy. Um, and, and I think that, that we're led to make this connection in, in part by the fact that when Jesus comes to the temple, he drives out the money changers. He drives out those who are selling animals. And, and it, I mean, maybe it had been corrupted and, and it wasn't just a way for people to fulfill these vows that the money changers are, are sitting there at the temple. But I think the way in which Jesus drives them out and leaves the temple empty of these potential sacrifices, these potential offerings, leaving only himself there as the final sacrifice, the sacrifice that fulfills all of the, the offerings that God commanded as well as all of the opportunities for sacrifices that God, you know, allows here in, in this voluntary um, portion of, of Leviticus, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. Um, he's, he's the perfect sacrifice that must come. You know, he talks about how it is necessary for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and, and be crucified and on the third day raised again, but, but also he does it completely willingly. He, he's not um, dragged to Jerusalem or to the cross. Um, he goes there 
you know, as a lamb that is silent um, as it's being led to the slaughter, not resisting. Um, so so we, I think we do see Christ as, as the fulfillment to, to all of these offerings um, as, as he comes in his willingness to take our place. Now, the other, the other part of this, as we think about this for ourselves, not only the, the fulfillment in Christ, which you said very well, but also then how this might apply to us as Christians, thinking about how we support the work of the church, as the people of Israel were allowed to give voluntary offerings to support the work of the sanctuary. Uh, we as Christians still give voluntary offerings to support the work of the church. This is not every pastor's favorite topic to talk about, but it is something that scriptures address. And it is a part of, as we started with, the faithful response of God's people to his mercies. So how does Leviticus chapter 27 inform the way that we respond to God's gifts as Christians and support the work of the church? Well, I think that Leviticus chapter 27 teaches us that, that God kind of takes for granted that his people will respond to his grace in generosity directed towards the upkeep and ongoing work of the ministry, you know, is especially um, maintaining the divine service at the temple where sinners are brought to a holy God and, and reckoned righteous and holy by the blood of, of the sacrifice. Now, obviously in the New Testament, that's not ongoing animal sacrifices, but it's the once-for-all sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross. I think we see a parallel, a very um, very direct parallel in, in the divine service. Now, the regulations that we have for worship in the New Testament in general are much looser and freer than the specifics given in the Old Testament of this is the kind of animal that you need to offer and this is how it is you know, killed and how the blood is collected and spoutered, you know, there, there's not, we, you know, Lutherans tend to have pretty orderly worship. Um, sometimes we fight about the order of worship, um, but, but it's presumed that there are certain things, um, and I'm not presumed, I think it's clear in scripture that there are certain things that God says, this you will do as my people. It is not optional um, for us to bring our children to baptism. It is not optional for us to, to be baptized. Um, God says, this is, this is how you become my people. This is the gift that I give, and, and to reject that gift is, is to say, no, I don't want to be included in God's holiness in the way that he has established. That would be like somebody in the Old Testament saying, yeah, I, I just don't want to take part in the, the sacrifices at the temple. I want to come to God my own way. Well, you, you can't. God said, this is the way that it's done. Well, we, we are brought to God in baptism. We are to confess our sins and receive forgiveness. We are to receive the body and blood of Christ um, in the Lord's Supper. Now, there's, there's not a, you know, I mean, Luther, could, Luther felt free enough to say, if you don't come to the Lord's Supper four times in a year, we can't count you as a Christian anymore. Um, that has become so obvious that you don't really care about the things of God that we're not going to act like you're a, you're a Christian. Um, but that's skipping the Lord's Supper an awful lot um, before Luther would say you're not living like a Christian, you, that you're apparently, you, you know, without question, not not acting like a, a Christian. So in, in general, the, the form of worship that we have is is something that follows 
those things which Christ has instituted as the essential parts of worship. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, hearing the word, preaching, praying, you know, all those things. In the midst of all of this, the church has found it appropriate, almost universally, that we have an opportunity to bring gifts, typically financial, but historically it hasn't always been financial gifts, um, to the Lord's house that are put in the care of the congregation, um, whether that's under the care of the clergy or a board of elders or a, a church council. But I mean, some somehow the congregation directs how this money will be used for the continuation of God's um, house in that place. And, and so that worship may, may be continued. That's how you and I as pastors get paid primarily. Um, but we see that even today, now, now nobody brings a house to church on Sunday morning and puts it in the offering plate. Um, but there are people who um, plan their estate in such a way that when they die, their house is going to glorify the Lord either in whole or in part by being sold and, and that money, either a portion of it or all of it, being given either to a congregation or maybe the synod, maybe a seminary. Um, but somehow these gifts that God has given to his people um, are, are brought back and, and given to him. And, and we say, thank you, God, for all that you have done. Sometimes it's right away. Sometimes it's, you know, 10% off of whatever I got paid this week. I'm putting in the offering plate. Sometimes it's planned. Um, I'm going to use this property until I don't need it any longer. Um, but then I'm going to, you know, then it's dedicated to, to God from there. Um, and, and so we, we still have tremendous opportunities to freely come with, with gifts that nobody has demanded of us, that nobody can say, there's no place in the New Testament that says there's any particular amount that we owe God other than our entire lives. Um, and, and so our sacrifices. I'm sorry? Living sacrifices, as yeah, Paul says yes. in Romans 12. Yeah, certainly. Um, what we bring on Sunday is completely voluntary. Um, it's a response to God's generosity and grace, um, and his people tend to be um, very generous Absolutely. back towards him and, and to the service of his house from the things that he has bestowed to us. Absolutely. And, and what, well, I mean, when you think about the wealth of gifts that God has given, as we've seen them in the book of Leviticus, the holiness that he bestows upon his people freely through the, the sacrifices, the rituals, all pointing forward to the holiness that he freely grants us to Christ Jesus. Uh, what else is there for but this joyful response to give freely of the things that he has already given in faith, in gratitude toward all that he has done for us? Pastor Ned Murby serves at Memorial Lutheran Church and School in Houston, Texas. He's been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 to 34. Pastor Murby, thanks for being our guest today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. I am your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Starting next week, we will be going into the book of Hebrews and seeing how all of these things that are described in Leviticus have come to fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. The things that we've seen in fulfillment in these studies are made very explicit in that book. So if you have any questions about the book of Hebrews ahead of time, Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It'd be wonderful to hear from you. Looking forward to studying Hebrews with you next. 
talk to you again next week.